0: Let's bow in a word of prayer before we go into the word. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for the joyous expression we've already had today in just worshiping you through song and through prayer, through intercession, through confession. Father, we are aware of your presence here. We've encountered you already. Now we pray that as the word is opened, we may encounter you again through the written word. We pray that, in fact, we thank you for the promise that you've given that your word will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose to which you send it. We thank you for that and we claim that promise today. In Jesus' name, amen. God's purpose for the church. This is the second message that we are giving on this particular theme. As you know, we do this uh, every year, uh, every other year for sure, in order to remind you of why we are here as a local church. I believe it's very important because i become very saddened and very burdened by what I see so many churches are doing today in the name of Christ. I really don't think that we're pursuing the purpose of the church and that saddens me. And I think it's important for us to always be reminded why the church of Jesus Christ is here. Not why a social club is here, not why an organization is here or an institution, but why the church is here. Because I am convinced that the church is here to do something that no one else on earth could do. And that's what we need to focus on. And so I believe that I am following the biblical admonition to stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. That's Peter's words in Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Last time you were reminded of God's cosmic plan for us as members of the incredible body of Christ. And I want you to really contemplate and think about that phrase. If you place faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a member of the incredible body of Christ. And friends, the body of Christ is incredible. It's not like any other group of people or any group of anything on the face of the earth. The church, the body of Christ, is unique with a unique purpose. Now, you remember the diagram. In fact, if you look at your bulletin, Calvary Bible Church's purpose and mission, we believe it's taken right from Scriptures. The overall purpose, what we call the ultimate purpose, is to glorify Christ. Now, purpose doesn't tell us how we do anything. It just tells us what it is and what it is to be. And that's it, to glorify Christ. That's the end purpose. And when everything is done and said about our living as Christians, if it's not done, if it wasn't done to glorify Christ, it's all void. It's useless. We're here to glorify Christ. But how do we do that? We do that by completing the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. By completing the ministry of Jesus Christ on earth. This is what we call the Uh, uh, the general purpose of the church the general purpose of the church to complete the ministry of Christ again it doesn't tell us what the ministry is it simply tells us that we are to complete that ministry we are doing here in other words is looking at the life of Christ and to see why he came to earth and the whole uh, focus of this is that he has now left us since he's gone for us to complete what he started to do how do we uh, complete the ministry of Christ on earth? By evangelizing a loss and discipling believers toward Christ's likeness. Now that phrase is important because many times that's left out. Many times we think all we do is win souls to Christ and that's it. But that's not the purpose for, for Christ coming to earth. He came to earth so that those people who come to know him might become like him. And so we fulfill the general purpose of the church. By evangelizing lost discipling believers toward Christ-likeness. This is what we call the immediate purpose. That's what we should be engaged in. What are the means? The means are by providing members of the church with opportunities for a personal encounter. Now notice the word encounter. What comes to your mind when you think of that word? Relationship. Impact, right? Something happening, not just... And that's what we want you to think. That's why I used the word this morning in my, my prayer about our encountering the triune God. You should leave here with an awareness that God was in this place, but more specifically, that you met Him. He spoke to you in some fashion. If you did, this whole thing is wasted for you. And you say, well, that depends upon the praise team and the preachers to make me feel like God. No, 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 no. Now, we can't do anything to make you feel like God is here. That has to do with something that's inner, that's personal, that's up to you. Because, see, God, who is the divine spirit, uses the Holy Spirit to impact our spirit of the presence and the awareness of the Triune God. It's all a spiritual transaction, all spiritual. And that's why Paul says in Galatians that we should not in any way lean on the flesh. To see that this happens. We don't, uh, we don't lean on the singing and the, and the preaching for that to happen. We do it by the power of the Spirit of God. And so we have to provide as leaders. We have to provide opportunities for a personal encounter with the triune God through worship. Uh, through instruction. through The people of God through fellowship. And the world God loves through evangelism. Now we believe that gives us some idea to tell us why we're here. And let me say this, this is why Jesus Christ came, right here. And tonight we'll go through that in detail to see that. My whole purpose for stating it in this way is this, unless we're doing these things, we're not doing the work of the church. You might be doing the work of a social club, but not the church. Now, is it wrong to do some of these other things? No, 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 no. But that's not the purpose of the church. God has given us the body of Christ, the church, to do something that no one else on this earth could do. It has to do with the Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? And only those who have the Spirit of God and dwelling them can do the work. That's important for us to remember. We've got to stop fooling around playing church. We come out, we get all dressed up. Some of us, if I, I say it again, if we don't come dressed up, you think we're not going to church. Foolishness! You are the church. You see, we come so, we come so in looking, at, uh, looking at how we dress. We don't look at the person to see whether or not they are exuding Jesus Christ in their life. If they're Christ-like or not. And that's the purpose. So we saw that last week. We look at it this evening. We encourage you to come. This led us to come up with what we call the Church's Mandate. And you have it again. Please read this with me. Calvary Bible Church's Mandate is what? To lovingly but dynamically represent Jesus Christ in completing his ministry of spiritual redemption, spiritual perfecting, and social compassion toward all people. We think that ties in everything we've talked about. And we have that as something. I encourage you to memorize that, to think about these things because that might help you in your own own ministry. I encourage you to memorize this mandate. As I said, we'll go into further detail regarding the implementation of these biblical principles this evening. When we attempt to convey these principles into the form of a constitution. In other words, we make it up as something that we covenant together to do as members of this local church we call Calvary Bible. And so I invite you to come out. And please bring your outline with you. But this morning, I would like to focus on the verse I have selected as our mission verse. Actually, the proper word today is missional verse for my tenure as senior pastor here. In other words, when I came here, I spent a lot of time in prayer and reflection as to what I should be doing as a senior pastor. I'm going to the Word. And this is what developed, of course, and this was presented to the church before I came here. And there's a verse, I believe, that embodies that whole purpose. And that's what we chose. And it's it's, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. This is what it says. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Now, again, you've seen this verse again and again. You've seen it on our bulletins. You've seen it on the bus. You heard me repeat it again and again. Why? Because I want you to understand what I see as my purpose here and what I want you to see as something you yourself should see as a vision or something that God wants you to do as well. Now we're going to be going into details on this verse throughout the weeks to come, but this morning we want us to focus on a very special area. Now this verse of course comes in the context of a passage. And sometimes when we only take a verse out, we do not get the true import of what the passage means. And so actually I should ask you not just to memorize verse 28, but verses 24 through 29, because then you get a full thought of what Paul is saying here. I want you to read this passage with me now as well. Colossians chapter 1, beginning at verse 24. Please read it with me. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, and in my flesh I do share on behalf of his body, which is the church, and filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That is... Sorry. that is the mystery that's That's wonderful to whom God willed the glory of the mystery among the gentiles which is Christ in you the hope of glory and we proclaim him admonishing every man and teaching every man with all wisdom that we may present every man complete in Christ for this purpose also I labor striving according to his power which mightily works with me Wow what a powerful passage this is I could never read this passage without getting excited and actually feeling goosebumps this is a fantastic passage concerning the ministry of the pastor, but the ministry of every individual member of the body of Christ as well. Now when you study the book of Colossians, you'll come to find out that it uplifts Jesus Christ, but it also has as a purpose to, uh, to mature the believer. In other words, one of the sub-purposes of the book of Colossians is to mature the believer. The primary purpose is to uplift Jesus Christ. You cannot study the book of Colossians without coming into a closer and a more intimate relationship with Jesus Christ. He describes Jesus Christ with some of the most beautiful terms you can find anywhere in Scripture. But now here, in, in this whole book that focuses on the maturing of Christ, Paul presents a maturing of the believer, an uplifting of Christ. Paul presents some tremendous truths concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He talks about his deity in the earlier chapters. He deals about his verses. He deals about his creatorship. He deals about the fact that he is the sustainer of his creation. He deals about his sovereignty over his creation. He deals with his work as redeemer. It talks about him as the head of the church. Now, when you come to verse 24, the passage we have read, Paul tells us the wonderful truth of Christ indwelling the believer. Christ indwelling the believer. He begins by telling them how this truth of the indwelling Christ comes through the Word of God, comes through the Gospel, the Good News. He explained in the previous verses that the proof of a valid faith in Christ is an ongoing continuings in that faith. In other words, how can man say or know that you are a Christian? not by you getting up and say, I received Christ ten years ago. That's not good enough. Men are convinced of your faith in Christ by looking at your life and see what you're doing. And no matter how you talk about walking down the aisle or signing a piece of paper five, ten, fifteen years ago, if your life is like the devil, then as far as we're concerned, you are of the devil. You understand what I'm saying? And Paul brings that out in this passage. Paul also talks about, about the existence of God. And he says that the, the, the existence of God, the creator is evidenced every moment of every day by his creation. It is being preached all the time, day and night, through creation. And Now he says also that he as a servant of Christ preaches the gospel with the same fervor. In other words, it's exciting to read this passage. Paul says, you go... You look at creation, the gospel is being preached, the gospel that God exists, and that's going on day and night. And he says, you know something, I'm preaching about Christ as well, and I'm doing it day and night. Continually, all the time, there's not a moment, a time, when Paul is not a witness of Jesus Christ. See, that's another mistake we've got. We believe that we are a witness for Christ only when we do certain things. I give out a trap, I'm a witness for Christ. I come out of church, I'm a witness for Christ. I go knocking door to door, I'm a witness for Christ. No, no, no. You're a witness for Christ when you go to the club and drink liquor. The only thing is you're a bad witness. You understand what I'm saying? You're always witnessing one way or the other. you a witness for Christ when you are showing your greed, when you're backbiting. You're a witness for Christ, you see. Paul is saying that he is always proclaiming Christ because he's always allowing Christ to live in and through him. And then he goes on to verse 24. To show that such a commitment to the gospel involves personal suffering and sacrifice. Now those are words Christians don't like to hear today. Suffering and sacrifice? Not Christians. Mm Mm-mm. We're the sons of the king, we're supposed to have everything better than everybody else. No pain. Everything is supposed to be luxurious. We're supposed to have the best in everything. Talking about sacrifice, talking about commitment, giving up some of my good life in order to, not me. Paul says, no, 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 no. If you're going to be a true proclaimer of Jesus Christ, you've got to expect to sacrifice and to suffer. Notice what he says then in verse 24. Now I rejoice in my suffering for your sake. You see, he ties in the suffering, the persecution he's receiving for sharing the gospel as being for the sake of those who hear the gospel. Don't lose that. That's important because many times we disregard the suffering that others have experienced so we could share the gospel. Just even take this ministry here. Do you understand even the kind of sacrifice Pastor Earl Wiesh and his wife had to make in order to get the ministry started? Hmm? You think all of this just sprung up, everything just went good like that, no problems, everybody just opened, yeah, 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 everything was good. No, 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 didn't happen like that. And sometimes you forget that us hearing the good news involves the suffering and sacrifice of others. Paul goes on with that. He says and in my flesh I do my share on behalf of his body which is the church. His body which is the church in filling up that which is lacking in Christ's afflictions. That's an amazing statement. Paul is saying something was lacking in Christ's afflictions and through his sufferings he fulfilled it now what does that mean does that mean that the work of Jesus Christ on the cross lacked something and the only way that our atonement could be fully completed is if Paul or someone else did something to make it complete far be the thought that's not what he's talking about When Jesus Christ suffered on the cross for your sin and my sin, and after He had offered Himself as that atoning sacrifice, and He knew that God had accepted, what did He say? It is finished. He's not saying, well, I've done my part now, somebody else is going to come to... No, no, no. It was finished. The suffering that Jesus Christ experienced from the hand of His Father was all that was needed to fulfill our redemption our salvation. But now Paul sees his part in preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, to the unsaved, as a definite contribution in getting the gospel to the Colossians specifically. But it was done by him specifically. Now Paul hadn't gone to Colossians yet. Epaphras is the one who really preached the gospel and started the church. But Paul had preached the gospel to Epaphras while he was in jail. And Paul is saying now that you got the gospel through Epaphras because of my suffering. And I don't want you to forget that. I don't want you to forget that. Like creation, which continually proclaims the existence of a divine being, to the combined wonders of the stars and the moon, the sun, the planets, the plants, the animals, and even man himself. So is the gospel preached continually around the world. Through who? Believers in Christ. You and me. Right now. You and I are sitting in here and we ain't suffering nothing. Right or wrong? Right. But there are millions of Christians around the world who have been persecuted and suffering right now because of their faith. In India, they've been killed. They've been slaughtered. All over. We could give you list after list after list. Read the information that comes from Dr. Sukdale. They're being killed, being persecuted. That's members of the body of Christ. Should impact us. It should affect us. But he's making the point that in spite of that, in spite of the sufferings of God's people around the world, the gospel is still being heard. You see, in a way, in a small way, you and I have contributed to that. Through our prayers, through our giving to our missionaries, through our own personal... We have contributed to the gospel going around the world. But Paul's point is this suffering is involved for the good news of the Christ as our redeemer suffering is involved my friends every time we pick up this Bible we should thank, thank those whose lives were given for us to get it you understand what I'm saying? for us to get the word of God many people gave their lives we wouldn't have the Word of God if people did not give themselves as martyrs to get the Word of God do you realize that do you appreciate it that's what Paul is trying to get into the mind of these people listen this message that is being proclaimed is one that cost sacrifice pain and suffering are you willing to experience those things If not, that means you're halting, you're you're preventing the gospel from spreading as fast as it should go. Because you should be willing to sacrifice and to suffer in order to get it out. He says, this is an amazing thing. He says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. He didn't say his spirit now. He says his flesh. He's talking about something physical. I fill up in my flesh which is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. Paul is saying that what he suffered personally completed or filled up what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. It's not. Afflictions here has nothing to do, nothing at all to do, with redemption it has to do with getting the message of redemption out that's what this is all about here now Paul says I am suffering how, how, how could Paul say this I Philip in my flesh which is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions and one of the things you'll find as you do your Bible study this word here in the original for afflictions is never used to describe the death of Jesus for our sins The word afflictions is never used. It's always used in association with pain that comes from man on man. And so what is being referred to here is how man inflicts pain upon another person. In this case, upon Christians for spreading the gospel. All right? Now here's a truth that is often overlooked here. Jesus is still being afflicted by man even though he's in heaven. Jesus is still being afflicted by man, even though he's in heaven. Take Paul again. Do you know one who caused more affliction upon the people of God than anyone else during Paul's day? It was Paul. He went into the houses and dragged them out and persecuted them and even killed them. He was a persecutor of the church. That's why he called himself the greatest sinner. But then, on his way to Damascus, Jesus Christ met him on the road. He was struck down. You remember that story? And then the risen Christ, the first word, words he said to Paul, was what? Saul, Saul, why do you persecute the church? Did he say that? Why do you persecute me? He was identifying himself with the people of God. Saul, who were you pulling out of the house and persecuting and beating and whipping? It was me, the Messiah, the promised one, the anointed one, the one that all the Jewish people were looking forward to. That's the one that you're pulling out and beating. Jesus is identifying himself with his body on earth. And now he could say, I rejoice in my sufferings on your behalf. Why? Because I do it for the sake of the body. That's the apostle Paul. He could glory in that now. Why? Because he realized that what he suffered For the sake of the people of God, he was suffering for Jesus Christ himself. Because although the head is in heaven, his body is on earth. Man cannot get at the head in glory, but he can get at the body. But you see, one of the things that Paul is addressing here on the side, as it were, is that sometimes some of God's people hiding from the pain and the suffering to get the gospel out. And so they're in the neighborhood and they're not sharing because, man, I them people are going to laugh at me. See, laugh at me. Now put it the other way around. Suppose you realize yourself as a true member of the body of Christ. And when you speak the gospel, you're representing Jesus Christ. They laugh at Christ. You should rejoice in that. Why? Because Jesus says that what they did to me They're going to do to you. See, Paul is trying to show them something wonderful here. Paul is trying to show them that Jesus is still on this earth. He's still on this earth. And people are still trying to affect him. And if you and I are going to truly be witnesses and members of the body of Christ, we have got to be willing and ready to take that pain and suffering if the gospel is going to be spread. And so I tell you again, when we look at those who suffered for us to get the gospel out, are we willing to do the same? Look at verse 26 now. He says, he's talking about the body of Christ the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages and generations, but has now been manifested to his saints, to whom God willed to make known what is the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now really, this is where I should have started the message, right here, because this is the core of the message. Right here. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now when you go to the scriptures, you'll find at least seven mysteries, some others. The mystery of the kingdom, the mystery of the church, the mystery of iniquity, the mystery of godliness, the mystery of God in Christ, the incarnation, and now we have the mystery of Christ in us. This is the mystery of the indwelling Christ, something that was once hidden, not told to anybody, but now it is revealed through the apostles, through the word of God, especially through the apostle Paul. What is the message? What was the message that Paul was proclaiming? Somebody said, well, he's proclaiming Christ died for us. Glorious message. Paul is saying in this passage when it comes to maturity that's not the message to focus on what is the message the message that Paul proclaimed was Christ in you Christmas Christ with us Emmanuel God with us that has to do with salvation you go to Calvary He died in our place. He died for our sins. That's Christ for us. But now when we come to Pentecost, we have the message that is to be for this age. What is it? Christ in us. He's gone back to heaven, but he's still here in the presence of the indwelling Christ. And friends, that's the message. That's the message we proclaim. That's the message that leads to maturity and I believe that's the reason why so many Christians do not go on to Christian maturity because they know nothing about the truth of the indwelling Christ. I'm not talking about us being I'm not talking about us being in Christ. That's a different story. That's salvation. I'm not talking I'm talking about Christ being in us. That's a whole different idea that's a whole different concept now it's Christ living out his life in and through us you like to say if you want to see what God looks like look at Christ well I say to you we should be able to say to the sinner the person outside of Christ if you want to know what Christ look at looks like look at me if you can't say that you better start getting yourself back in fellowship with God Christ in you the hope of glory what a wonderfully amazing truth this is and as Paul declares here it is a mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to his Saints think of it nowhere in the Old Testament with this truth manifested oh yes They had the promise of God helping His people, sustaining them. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 40, it says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings of eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's a wonderful promise, isn't it? Isn't it? But nowhere in the passage it tells you how He's going to do it. Nowhere. It just tells you He's going to do it. It's not until Jesus Christ comes and opens the mystery. How is he going to do all of this? Through the indwelling Christ. That's how he's going to do it. He's going to do it through the indwelling Christ. You remember in the upper room just before the cross, Jesus said, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching and my Father will love him. Now notice, listen to this. Listen to this we will love him and we will come to him and make our home in him did you get that the triune god will indwell the believer the father the son and the holy spirit the triune god indwells the believer that's the mystery that is the message we proclaim that god lives within the believer our identity has changed, and we're going to be developing this in the weeks to come. Christ, with us. Christ for us. Christ in us. Christ through us. Christ by us. Christ as us. But it begins here. With Christ, in us. Paul describes this divine indwelling as the glorious riches. And the hope of the gospel. The glorious riches and the hope of the gospel. What is he talking about? He's talking about Christ living within us. Christmas, the gift of the Son. Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a step forward, even further than the cross, than than than, than, than um than Bethlehem. Because now the triune God. The triune God lives within us. Don't let's lose the emphasis here. It's the content of Paul's proclamation of the one's hidden mystery. What is it? Christ in you, the hope of glory. My friends, this is an amazing, wonderful, fantastic message. Hidden throughout the ages until Jesus chose Paul to make it known. It's not A message only about the death and resurrection, as essential as these topics are. But now, it is revealed that Christ indwells us. And this is the mystery that Paul himself proclaims. And that's the message I am committed to proclaiming as well. Someone has said about this, and I quote, The world knows nothing about the greatest most revolutionary mystery that has ever taken place in history. The popular television programs, the news documentaries and commentaries, sitcoms, movies never mention it. It is never taught in the great universities. Secular wisdom, New Age movements, world religions are not aware of it. You find it only in the good news of Jesus Christ. The most basic thing about Christianity is that through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit Jesus himself indwells the believer in Christ did you get that? if you truly get that you cannot leave here the way you came in today you'll watch what you do with your body because the triune God indwells it I say again the message Paul proclaimed that leads people to Christian maturity is that Christ now lives within the believer this is the message, he says, leads to Christian maturity. Listen to some of these passages that teach us truth, and I go through quickly. we'll develop them more in a later time. John 14:20: "In that day you shall know that I am in my Father, you and me, and what? I and you." 17:22: "The glory which thou hast given me, I have given to them, that they may be one just as we are one. I in them." and thou in me that they may be perfected in unity that the world may know that thou didst sent me and didst love them even as thou didst love me do you see what he's saying he's saying that one of the sure methods that we could use in our evangelism to persuade people that Jesus Christ loves them and Christ died for them is to allow the indwelling Christ to live through us isn't that amazing? John fourteen twenty actually teaches that the triune God lives within us as believers. This is, a, this, is, this is a different message with a different connotation than the message that teaches we are in Christ. Perhaps I can say it in this way. We being in Christ relates to the security of our salvation. However, Christ being in us relates to our life after salvation. Remember what Paul says, having been saved by his death, how much more shall we be saved, what? Through his life living in me. See, sometimes when we look at salvation as coming that we're saved from hell, Paul is looking at salvation as a life that manifests the person of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 13, test yourselves to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourselves. And that's my challenge to each one of you here today. No, yeah, man. I saved a long time ago. I had my name on this paper a long time ago. Well, I say the same words to you that Paul says to Corinthians Examine yourselves and see whether or not you be in the faith. Or do you not recognize uh, this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail the test? In other words, he may not be in you at all. Look at your life. Don't look at when you sign the paper. Look at your life. Has it changed? Not if you're a member of Calvary Bible Church. No, 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 no. Are you a member of the body of Christ? You could be a member of Calvary Bible Church and not be a member of the body of Christ. Now, we try not to make that happen, allow that to happen, but sometimes it can. Examine yourself. That's what he's saying. Would you dare to do that today? To examine yourself to see whether you're a Christian or not? By the life you live? By the attitudes you have? Even by the places you go, the things you read? Romans 8 You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells within you, in other words, if the spirit of God dwells within us, we should manifest more of the spirit than of the flesh. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. And if Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who indwells you. What what, what more needs to be said? The indwelling or the incarnation of Christ within the believer is the guarantee of our salvation. In other words, if you don't have Christ living within you, you're not saved. And just saying it is not enough. It's even seen in your life. That's the point. Let me show you, read another passage of scripture. John 14, 16. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. That he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth. Whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. Notice it. But you know him because he abides in you and he and will be in you. This is an emphasis throughout the New Testament. Christ in us. Living his life in and through us by the Spirit of God. Just just run through some more scriptures with you. Without command. At least I'll try not to command. 1 Corinthians 6.15 Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I take away the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? May it never be. Well, I love the comment on this one. But do I need to? What do you do with your bodies? 2 Timothy 1.14 God through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. That's the Word of God. James 4.5 Or do you think that the... Scripture speaks to no purpose. He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. The witness is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. Where is this life found? In him. John 14, 6. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. But through me, if you don't have the indwelling Christ within you, you are lost. I don't care how much money you give to the church, I don't care how much you give to the poor, I don't care what you do. But if you don't have Christ living within you, you are lost. How do I know if I have Christ living in me? Look at your life. Is it Christ-like? Romans eight sixteen puts the cap on it. He says, the Spirit himself bear witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Here's the point of this passage. Paul says that the spirit indwelling us is a mark of salvation, being a child of God. But the point of all of this that I'm, this morning, is that Paul, the message Paul proclaimed to bring believers to spiritual maturity was that Jesus Christ was living within them. And that it was their position in him that guaranteed a future of glory with him. In fact, the triune God lives within us. Look at the passage once more. To whom God will to make known what the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That was Paul's proclamation. That was Paul's proclamation to those whom he wants to be, see Christ-like. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Examine yourselves. See whether or not you be in the faith. Is Christ the hope of glory in your life? That's the message that we proclaim from this pulpit. Not just that Jesus died and rose again. How People like that message and it's a glorious message. But that's only the beginning. It's not just that Jesus died and rose again, but now he lives within. That's the message. His death and resurrection, although having significant ongoing consequences, are all past events. However, his dwelling is now in the present. It is not history per se, but it's a current event specifically going on every day in our life. Jesus Christ is to be incarnated in our life. That's the message that leads to spiritual maturity. We'll be looking at this more and more. But I ask you again, friends, are you aware of the fact when you go to work, when you go to school, when you do your business, when you choose your movies, when you choose your friends, that Christ, the hope of glory, is within you that's your new identity and that's what we'll be looking at our identity in Jesus Christ it should change your life because Jesus Christ came into your life not so that you would stay the same but that you would become like him and so what is the message you proclaim according to Colossians 1:28, it is Christ in you the hope of glory. May everyone we come in contact then see Christ in us. Sila.